podcast was brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome back to part two of the Ask the Scientist podcast interview with Dr. Christopher Harris, where we will get a bit more of an insight into his outreach work in Uganda and hear his responses to the 10 rapid fire questions. Outside of London, you also have several projects set up to improve neonatal management and epilepsy care. Can you tell us a bit more about the projects that you are running? Yes, indeed. Um, so I work in a hospital um, called Kugando Hospital, which is on the border with, with Congo um, in the southwest of Uganda. And this is um, quite a large referral hospital uh, that takes uh, has a catchment area of probably over 400,000 people, but certainly uh, it's the biggest hospital within four hours in any direction by road. And this is a hospital that I was able to go to as a medical student uh, for several months um, and then visited um, in the first few years of my training for a month at a time. Um, and then when I was in uh, my registrar years, so having got about three quarters of the way through my paediatric training and um, I had the opportunity to go out and, and live there for a year and during that time it coincided with um, some funding uh, that the hospital had received to build a neonatal unit um, and when I got there we actually realized that the mortality in the hospital was incredibly high for, for babies and the, uh, the morale was very low on, on the unit with the staff and even the parents as well. And uh, what we did was we worked with the, the people who were um, the doctors on the ground there and the nurses in, in the neonatal unit um, in order to create an evidence-based uh, guideline for the treatment of, of neonatal patients at Kagando Hospital. Um, we looked at uh, bacterial studies that had been done in, in Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda. Um, we also looked at, at other um, things that people had done in low and middle income settings um, and tried to create a, a set of guidelines focusing on um, the management of unwell babies. Um, and we were able to significantly reduce the mortality in the neonatal unit, uh, which uh, was a huge thing um, for us, but also it was such a noticeable difference in mortality that it, it uh, meant that the morale of the unit was improved hugely. And, and now I, I still go back. Um, it's been six years since we've done that. And I, I still go back every year, um, having got back only a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this year, the neonatal mortality has fallen again um, in that unit, which means that um, there are babies surviving who, who weren't surviving beforehand. And the knock-on effect of that in, in this setting is that parents aren't having to, to bury their children. And, and funerals are incredibly expensive um, in Uganda, so there's more money for these children to then go on to get education. There's also more money uh, for parents to spend on, on health care as well um, as these children are growing up. And so we found that it's, it's had a huge effect on, on the society uh, in which the hospital is based, as well as um, for those individual patients who, who are able to leave the hospital alive. And Chris, how did the communities respond initially when you went into their communities to improve the neonatal management and care? 
and in the set, setting up of the satellite hospitals to improve epilepsy care. Because when you are bringing about that much change, and especially being someone from abroad, did you face many challenges or were the communities quite receptive to your help? Uh, it's a really good question, actually, because um, it, it is something that, um, that uh, I, I was very nervous about um, initially uh, when I went across. Um, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, the first time you go across to, to Africa or, or, or any kind of low income setting, you are in danger of going across with a I'm going to save the world attitude where you know you yeah. think I'm coming from the UK I know what's best and and I'm going to show people how it's done and I went over the first time probably with a little bit of that attitude and I got there and I was <laughs> absolutely paralyzed at times by the need the what uh, what clinical conditions I was seeing and I was very lucky to meet with um, Dr. Asser um, who was an outstanding doctor who um, gave me time uh, a lot of patience <laughs> and uh, worked with me to help me to understand that actually I knew nothing <laughs> really what I needed right. to do was was learn hugely from the people who were doing uh, medicine in these settings day in day out and I did. I, I, I learned a huge amount during that time. And, and I think um, that uh, and, and my relationship with Dr. Asser um, meant that I, I was very keen to go back. And, and I did go back again and again and again, um, which meant that um, when I went back for the year, I'd already been to Uganda four or five times and spent quite over the last four or five years. And I'd spent a lot of time in the community getting to know people. Uh, I had great friends who, who were living around the hospital um, and, and working in the hospital as well. And it meant that um, when, when I got to, uh, to Uganda with very modest ambitions, because really what I wanted to do primarily was go and provide a service rather than make a huge change. Um, but when, when I got there, people, uh, the, the nurses and the doctors on the unit, they were so desperate to make a change. And, and they were saying to me that, that they, they knew that there must be a way to do things differently and um, to improve outcomes. And it was very much them asking whether we could, we could help rather than me going and saying, right, we're going to do something, something differently. Um, and because it was us all coming together and thinking, right, how can we, how can we improve things? It meant that it wasn't my guidelines or, or my uh, instructions that people were following. It meant that we were all looking through the books, that we were all looking um, for, for ways to improve things. And that meant that when we did create the guidelines, it was a very much a joint effort that everyone could get behind and take ownership from. Um, and you mentioned the satellite clinics. Um, the satellite clinics were, were created to, um, to treat epilepsy. Um, and that started in a very similar way. Um, people, um, one of the charities that I, I, I support from the UK um, that's based in, in the local area, um, one of the representatives came to the hospital um, many, many times to say, you know, I, that there were people in the community with epilepsy that we weren't reaching. Um, and in the hospital, we were only seeing one patient with, with epilepsy every month. So I was almost disbelieving when he was saying that there were so many. Um, but wow. he said, no, come with me, come with me and, and I'll show you. 
I'll show you. And so um, I when and we were so busy, it took a couple of months for us to get some time um, to go. And then when when I did go, I thought we had um, pulled up outside a primary school um, because we, we pulled outside this building and, and there were hundreds of children there. And well, it, it became apparent that all of these children had epilepsy and nobody had been receiving treatment for, for a multitude of reasons. But um, that was the start of these uh, uh, of the satellite clinics um, where, where we started um, providing epilepsy care. Um, we now have four areas and, and again um, we've just had a meeting in Uganda this time around where we're going to expand that to an, uh, another four areas in, in a neighbouring um, neighboring district. Um, but it, it was again very much people coming and saying this is a problem can you help fix it rather than me going and saying I want to do a project on epilepsy. Um, I have to confess, I, I have very little knowledge about epilepsy, or at least I had very little knowledge of epilepsy before these clinics. Um, I, have, I have now developed my knowledge in that area, thanks to, again, some wonderful, <laughs> humans, in, <laughs> wonderful humans in the United Kingdom and, and, and Holland, in fact, um, who provided some much needed advice as to um, how to treat it and, and what to do. But I, it, I think it's so important when you work in, the, in low um, low-income settings to um, appreciate what's there before you try and um, try and instigate change and and also to have a continuing relationship I don't think that the neonatal or epilepsy projects um, would have worked or have been so long-lived um, had I just gone for that one year and and then left and and had no further engagement I think that they've lasted for seven or eight years now um, because of the relationship I had before I went there for, for that year and also the continuing relationship I have now um, with people, uh, people on the ground there. And, uh, you know, like there are some absolute heroes there who, who work far harder than I do, who are far more knowledgeable than I am. Um, and, and really, um, they deserve more recognition than, than anyone else. It seems like as much as you went over there and helped to improve the quality of neonatal care, you in turn have learnt so much yourself, especially in terms of the strategies that could be implemented in other areas facing similar situations to Uganda. I think that what you have said is really worth sharing, and I thank you for your honesty, Chris, because we often see or hear about the difficulties in healthcare faced in low-income nations, but we may not really know exactly how to help. And we may not realize that the help we try to provide may actually be interpreted as negative rather than beneficial. Um, so it's I really nice to see. agree. If someone was listening to this podcast, physician, researcher, or general public alike, and they would like to contribute in some way, is there anything that they could do without necessarily having a medical background? Yes, I, I, think, uh, I think there is. Um, something that, that everyone can do um, in in the developing world. Um, I certainly um, I, I appreciate how difficult it is um, to get involved in projects, and I also um, appreciate how how paralysing it is almost um, when you see how much need is needed across the world, even in in our own country. And um, you know, the United Kingdom is by by no means a, an absolute paradise where. 
where everyone lives in, in wonderful conditions with perfect health. And there's certainly things to do here as well. Um, but I think working in, in low income countries, um, particularly, uh, the first piece of advice I, I would um, give is, is to look to address a problem that has been identified by the local population, um, rather than to try and, um, you know, create your own project from scratch with, without understanding the issues that, that are on board. And, and also that there are a lot of projects and a lot of people that are working abroad. And these might be the bigger charities, but often you find that um, links are created uh, in a much, um, a much less uh, publicised way. Um, for example, um, you know, this podcast, you know, if people were to send me a message, I could put them in touch with um, people on the ground in Uganda, for example. And, and there are many smaller resources like this with people doing smaller projects on the ground. And I think that the smaller projects on the ground are a lot easier to get involved with, whether it be um, to provide a service, um, which I think is vital. A lot of the problems that we have seen in Kagando, for example, are because um, there aren't enough people to do what's needed to be done. Um, and that goes for everything from, um, from medicine, but also science from, uh, to lab work, to administration tasks, um, to management as well. And providing that service is, is uh, something that's really important and often forgotten when, when people go uh, go to work abroad um, and there are some transformational projects as well which are, are also important um, but I think the transformational projects are a lot harder and um, to just step into and step out of and, and require a lot more time and, and investment um, and, and often what you find is is that people aren't able to give the time and investment uh, to uh, to really get these transformational projects off the ground. Um, but often providing a service for some time or you know, some years even allows you to open doors into the transformational projects which make the biggest difference in these countries. You know, I, I think sometimes the hardest thing is to know where to look and hopefully this mm. provides a platform for anyone who is interested to reach out and to really, I guess, make the difference or help in the way that they can um, because the more people that can assist in issues that affect all of us um, is very important. So that's really great. And um, also, so we'll um, make sure to put a link down to your Twitter page as well so then anyone who does have questions can ask you. Um, so finally, to finish off the podcast session, I'd like to ask you 10 rapid-fire questions. So they're absolutely random and... Um, Chris has not seen or has not seen or heard these questions before. So basically, I'm going to ask you some random questions. And when I say random, they are absolutely random. <laughs> um, and, and I just want the first thing that comes to your mind, just say it. And then don't worry, we won't judge you or anything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would love to know, um, just as a fun segment to end off the session. Okay, so I'm going to go with question one. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, cereal and coffee, lots <laughs> <Okay>. of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two, kind words that were said to you recently. Um, someone said that they, they looked up to me and I thought that was um, really nice because I've looked up to a lot of people um, in my career and that was, it was really 
nice to hear that someone was looking or had been looking up to me in my job. That was very nice. Question number three, what is your favorite color? Blue or black. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> pressure. <laughs> yes. Question number four, would you rather walk along the beach or walk through a forest? Walk along the beach. Okay, nice. Question number five, do you like pineapple on your pizza? Yes, absolutely. That is the correct answer. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Question number six. Describe your life using one word. Varied. Did you say harried? Uh, varied. It was probably hairy as well. <laughs> yeah, <but. right. laughs> okay. Varied was what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was some sort of, um, you know, UK lingo that we hadn't heard in Australia. <laughs> Okay. No, no. <laughs> Varied. All right. Question seven. If you could be a member of any sitcom family, which would it be? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, the Simpsons. Yeah. Okay. Good, good. Question number eight. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter. Question nine. What is a country you haven't been to yet but wish to travel to? Um, Peru is top of my list. And why? Um, I'd love to do the Inca Trail. I think that the uh, the architectural is uh, architectural things that, um, that like Machu Picchu and places like that are just stunning, and I'd love to see them in in real life. Okay, um, that was still question nine. So question <laughs> ten, the last one. What is your favourite Christmas carol? Um. I quite like Silent Night, but there's a, a story behind it. In the, uh, I saw a, uh, or in Uganda when I was there for Christmas, they uh, did a production uh, or, or a nativity play, essentially, and they finished it with Silent Night, and it was a completely new interpretation of Silent Night that I hadn't thought of before. Um, and it's now become my favourite Christmas carol because it always reminds me of Uganda. Wow, that's that's the perfect way to end our podcast session. And I would like to thank you very much for your time, Chris. And I wish you continued success in your research. Thank you very much. Yes. I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk to you. And I'm very honoured that you asked me uh, to be a part of this podcast series. Thank you very much. That marks the end of the Ask the Scientist podcast session. If you are interested in keeping up with Chris's research or even asking him any questions about his work, then you can follow him on Twitter via the handle at Dr. C.M. Harris. You can also listen to our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts in iTunes under the Breathe Easy banner. And make sure to subscribe to receive updates on new releases. From the ATS Respiratory Structure and Function Committee, my name is Lakshani Wickramasinghe, and I thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for the next Ask the Scientist podcast session.